0: I mean, so much so that when I told my dad that I was a clown, his response very promptly was, no, you're not. Um, I did not get into the world of clown until I went to college. It was 2011, I believe. There's a very prominent clown community at my university, uh, UC Irvine. One of our professors, Eli Simon, actually developed his own clowning technique based on his experience from mask work and Commedia dell'arte. And it's a hugely popular class there. So, you know, I saw the clowns and how they were different and not terrifying to me. And I, I always tend to get pigeonholed outside of clowning as a dramatic actress. So it was very important to me as an artist to find out how I could be funny so I took the class and I just ended up falling way more in love with it than I anticipated.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 38 of share a slice with Sean I'm Sean McGuire on this episode I'd like to introduce Crystal Bohaku whose stage name is Winnie the Clown now here's a slightly adapted bio originally taken from Freak Show Deluxe's webpage. Winnie the Clown was found wandering Hollywood's theater row by the Where reverend Vincent Wolfe in 2012. She began as a humble card girl at his Boom Bam Pow show, but quickly developed an appetite for steel and debuted her sword-swallowing skills shortly thereafter at Circus Maximus's 2013 Dia de los Muertos Extravaganza. Ever since she has been gleefully gliding down a slippery sideshow slope through tennis rackets, over shards of broken glass, onto beds of nails, into boxes riddled with blades, and much, much more. Winnie is a proud member of Freak Show Deluxe and the resident sideshow artist at Bearded Ladies Mystic Museum in Burbank, California. She's appeared on BuzzFeed, Investigation Discovery, True Nightmares, and even a short film called Spidora. So, without further ado, here's my interview with Crystal. So uh, Crystal, thanks so much for being on the show.
0: Yeah, of course, thanks for having me.
1: you You've done a lot. Um, that's quite the uh, quite the bio.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I I don't feel like I've done a lot, especially since i I think I'm very much at the beginning of my career. Yeah. Reading it back to me, it it does feel like quite a bit. I have a lot of that to thank Freak Show Deluxe for. Um, The Where Reverend Vincent Wolf, he, when I met him, was the vice president of Freak Show Deluxe. Um, And at the time, I was, you know, just very much looking up to him as a a mentor and uh, not looking to become part of his company in any way. But then, I don't know, maybe a year or two later, I ended up joining. So uh, in many ways, Freak Show Deluxe has had a huge impact on myself as an
1: artist. So you joined the Freak Show Deluxe in 2012. I mean, what were you doing before 2012? Uh, Were you into performing back then even?
0: Yeah, I've actually been on stage since I was four and a half years old. I started out dancing. When I got into middle school, I started acting. It had always been something that I was interested in. I'd done a little bit in choir, um, but for the most part, it was something that you know, my mom's a very supportive person, but I think until she saw me act, she didn't realize how serious or good I was at it. But after that first performance, she was like, you can do whatever you want to do.
1: <laughs> and then we have the Circus Maximus uh, 2013. Mm-hmm. That was basically the, um, the sort of Day of the Dead extravaganza.
0: Yeah, and I had two shows back to back that weekend and I went as as a patron, <laughs> as an audience member the first night. I met the producer and now my good friend being um just outside after the show. We got to talking and he asked me, uh, do you want to work tomorrow night? <laughs> and that's how I got my very first gig as a sword swallower and the clown actually that kind of gave birth to the idea of my clown swallowing swords.
1: So I look at that and i'm I'm like, "Wow, I mean, uh, how is that even done? Does she straighten herself out a certain way? I mean, is there is it all about relaxing your muscles?
0: Yeah, it is very much muscle control because what you're doing is working against you know your survival instinct, essentially to dull your reflexes. <laughs> So a a lot of people I've talked to kind of describe it as almost a a meditative state of mind for those few seconds. You know, you just kind of drop in to a very relaxed state where you you have control over those very small reflex muscles and just tell them to chill out for a few minutes.
1: Uh, You have to sort of like zone out, I guess, and just block things out, I guess, and just enter in sort of a... Your peaceful place.
0: Yeah, definitely. Breathing for me personally is a huge part of my sword swallowing technique. It really helps me, you know, because I don't I don't get nervous anymore. Um, necessarily going on stage, but there are definitely nights where I might feel a little more anxious for whatever reason. And um, it definitely helps to kind of set a rhythm and a pattern to my work. And a lot of the times, like if I am feeling less than great on stage, that that's the moment at which I finally kind of feel things start to go right, just kind of connects me and my work in the audience all at once.
1: Well, actually, one more thing about the the sword swallowing. So I mean, how long did it take you to learn to do this? And and do they start you out with like little daggers or, or rods or something?
0: So there are a couple of schools of thought. Some people, lots of people believe that you should start with a wire hanger. And the idea is that you you bend it straight um, so that it resembles a sword in shape. Other people think that that's a terrible idea and you should just start with a sword. Personally, I started with a wire hanger. I wanna say it took me 48 hours to get the hanger down, um, maybe another week or two to get comfortable with it. And From that point on, it was just a matter of, I was saving money to buy my first sword. And I I wanna say that took me maybe five or six months. And once I got my sword, it only took me maybe a week or two to get it down. And maybe a month more than that to really get comfortable with it. Some people it takes years to, to get that far. Uh, I guess I maybe I'm just either very lucky or very determined. <laughs> I,
1: I can just really picture you sitting in a room somewhere, or or in your spare time, and then just like putting your head back and sticking this ha- coat hanger down your throat. Yeah,
0: I actually had two roommates at the time, and uh, one of them has a very sensitive gag reflex. Mm. <laughs> But um, there there were definitely times where she would be in the next room or walk in and she'd be like, oh, God, she's doing it again. (laughs) It was a very special time in my life where I would wake up, brush my teeth, swallow a hanger, eat breakfast, swallow a hanger, go to work, go to lunch, swallow a hanger, come back from work swallow another, swallow it again, eat dinner, swallow a hanger, and then two more times before I go to bed. So it was a huge part of my day. I would take it to work. Everyone at work would uh, either make fun of me or watch in awe or laugh or turn away.
1: Yeah. <sighs> Those were the days. Are there special swords that you use? I mean, I'm thinking that the point is probably pointy, but that the actual cutting blades on either side must not be sharp. Otherwise, you would literally slice yourself up even if it touched the sides of your throat.
0: Yeah, our, our swords are not sharpened or if they have been sharpened, they're usually dulled. I mean, I can't speak for everyone in the swords lying community, but that is, has been my experience. But there's still very much a huge danger element every time you know because the esophagus the lining is not very thick it does not take a whole lot to tear it or puncture it you know the same goes for the lining of your stomach less often um, but it does still happen even to people who are very experienced there is the chance that you can put it down the wrong way and it would go into your lungs and nobody wants that either.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. You also in addition to this, you actually fit your body through a tennis racket, which is I can't even imagine that. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it's a lot of fun. I I remember the first time that Tommy, our reverend Tommy Gunn at Freak Shit Alex, he asked me, Can you fit your body through a tennis racket? And I just looked at the tennis racket is like, well. Uh, we're about to find out. and it I, I've always been very flexible, naturally being a dancer, but that that was a huge sense of accomplishment when I finished uh, putting that act together for Freak Deluxe. it's It's probably one of my favorite acts now,
1: actually. Um you also do bed of nails i I read as well.
0: Yes, I do. I just finally got my very own bed. So bed of nails so far has been something that I have only performed uh, only performed in a group setting. So Winnie does not have her own bed of nails act as of yet. But now that I have my own bed, that can all change. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm going to be working on in the months to come. But other things that I do are uh, glass walking. And uh, Winnie also likes to walk on Lego sometimes. I've done that. Mousetrap. <laughs> uh mouse huh. Another one uh, for any listeners who don't know what that means within the sideshow world. Um, essentially, you close a mousetrap on a part of your body. Usually, it will be my tongue. The box of blades. Ah. Yeah, which um, I only perform with Freak Alex.
1: How does that work?
0: Very carefully. So there is a beautiful, pretty small coffin-shaped box. It is filled with lots of uh, slots. for We have three different kinds of blades. We have hardwood blades, uh, saws, and machetes that are not just sharp. They're sharp on one side and serrated on the other. So when he goes into the box, followed by these 13 blades of three different kinds and somehow manages to wiggle her way around them all.
1: Yeah, that, that would have me on, on the edge of my seat uh, if I were there.
0: Yep. A lot of people think it's a magic trick, but it's not. So that's actually the part of the show where we let the audience come up and become part of the show, walk on stage, look into the box of doom and then go on the merry way.
1: Have you ever had any close calls on any of these uh, performances? Let's say I don't know maybe while you were swallowing uh, swords you you kind of lost your mojo or you were distracted suddenly or 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 scared or, or you know, startled or, or maybe you you were in the box and you know something went wrong I don't know you sneezed or jerked or something
0: um, so far, I have been. Very lucky not to have had any real scares. You know, there have been moments where things haven't gone as well as I wanted them to, or even moments where maybe I didn't think I was going to get a sword down. But I've always just, you know, gone back to the beginning, taken a breath and started over and it's always ended up all right. Big thing is not to force it.
1: Yeah, I can only imagine. It's not the sort of thing you want to do.
0: No, nobody wants a punctured esophagus. No. Solo is a
1: very special lady.
0: She believes that actions speak louder than words. And if that's true, and we believe it is, you are going to want to hear everything that Solo doesn't say.
1: And you've been in two movie productions. Uh, The first one that I have here is... Spydora. Is that the way you say it? Spidora?
0: Yes, exactly. Spidora the the act that the movie is named for is this wonderful illusion where you have a girl. Usually she'd be in a mask, so you know, if she was walking around the carnival, um, you wouldn't recognize her. And she would put her head into this illusion that gave her a spider body and, you know, usually the audience could interact with her and ask her questions and she'd fire back with witty remarks. So this movie was about a girl who was also a lobster girl. She had these um, lobster looking hands and she always felt like she was a freak, you know, in, in a very real sense. Like she was an outcast, like she was ugly and unaccepted. Um, But this one, this one audience member keeps coming back to her shows and falls in love with her. And it's, it's a really sweet story about how they find each other. So I got to, of course, (laughs) clown um, as one of her sideshow friends in, in this film is directed and written by Fred Olin Ray, who is one of those directors that you don't know, but you've probably seen his work. It was the first time that I got to let my passion for sideshow interact with my love for film. So that was a really amazing experience. And, you know, for the first time being able to clown and swallow swords on film was also a huge challenge because I am very much used to doing these things in front of a live audience and feeding off of that energy. So it was really the first time that I had to search within myself only to find that energy, especially because, you know, being on set, all the crew, as much as they may want to laugh, they can't.
1: I'm not comparing you to Spydora or anything but uh, I watched this BuzzFeed video where <laughs> it was actually your boyfriend you guys met on Facebook and then you invited him to your show and then he saw that
0: kind of it was um, so we're, we're both actors but of course they don't want to tell stories about actors meeting. so um, what really happened was that we got cast across one another in a mutual friends short film and the chemistry was ridiculous. Um, there's a whole crazy story. I was with someone else at the time and yada, yada, yada. Um, anyway, so eventually he starts talking to me on Facebook and, and he, he saw that I had gone to a circus and he was like, Hey, so you in it? And I was like, no, but you should go. And he goes, I don't want to come I, unless you're in it. I would come to see you. Uh, so that's the point at which I invited him to one of my shows. And the Buzzview video is pretty accurate from that point on.
1: Oh, It's cute. It's a cute video. I'm going to put a, a link to it. Definitely.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah.
1: And uh, I mean, your other movie, I, I it's not really a movie. It's Okay, it is a movie. It's a, it's a collection of, I guess, uh, trailers for grindsploitation-type movies, grindhouse-type movies, and it's called Grindsploitation. Between the years 1967 and 1996, behind the steel bars of Raisendale's Maximum Security Insane Asylum... A group of more than 30 inmates were given cameras, a fistful of quarters, and the freedom to express themselves within the medium of film. That film would later be buried. And now, in 2016, that film is unleashed to the general public. Welcome to Grindsploitation. The movie. Viewer discretion is advised.
0: Yep. I got to, I forget how I got in contact with the director, Caleb Emerson. I think he may have just come to see one of my shows. So I get this message that's like, hey, do you want to be in a fake trailer in this movie? And it had something to do with John Waters. So I show up to this venue that I've performed at too many times where we're filming, and I have absolutely no idea what I'm getting myself into. And it, it just got weirder and weirder because we were filming a very specific portion of this larger trailer that was going to go into this, this movie, and I actually, I didn't even really, I don't think I knew what it was about entirely until I saw the finished product. But like, so at one point we're, we're running away from something, another we're standing in front of a green screen, just yelling random words. And there, there was a point at which some older man was, uh, I think his character was supposed to have been like getting a blowjob, job. And he was asking like, who's your burger, baby? Um, there was a dead girl involved. Like it was just such a disorienting but fantastic experience. I, I wish I had a better way to describe it, but um, if, if the rest of the movie is anything else, anything like what we did, which I'm sure it is, um, it will be very interesting. I think the idea was to put together like a comp- compilation of um, you know, these fake movie trailers that were kind of an interesting phenomena I may be misinformed, but I think that's how Machete got made. Mm-hmm. Does that sound? Yeah. So, like, that was kind of the jumping-off point.
1: This clowning technique. There, there are many different kinds of of clowning technique. Because, for me, when I grew up, uh, and also when I go to kids' parties, it. I, I guess maybe I'm missing some of it, or maybe they're not practicing various techniques. They're just sort of twisting balloons and, you know, doing games with the kids. I mean, is there more to it than that?
0: Oh, yes. There's so much more to it than face paint and crazy costumes and twisting balloons. And that, I think, is probably where a lot of the misconception of what a clown is and the fear of clowns even comes from. Clowning is very much about physical comedy. I actually... I've had conversations with certain clowns before, I say clowns in quotation marks there, um, who have told me that clowns are comedians with red noses, and I cannot stress how much I disagree with that. In fact, in our technique of Simonian clowning, we begin not speaking. One of the rules is that you, you do not speak. Some clowns later develop the ability to talk. But um, the reason why is that it forces you to focus on the physicality of your clown and the physical comedy that comes from, um, you know, being very open and vulnerable. And that way, you don't allow yourself to rely on jokes, you know.
1: I probably told you that uh, I grew up kind of afraid of clowns. My, my parents gave me this creepy doll when I was a kid. Oh, no. I don't know if you know about these old dolls, but they're it, it was the head was hard plastic and the and the nose was just this cherry red and you twisted the nose and it played this music at you. It would just sit in my room and stare at me at night. It was scary.
0: Yeah, I just got the very physical chill down my spine at that description.
1: <laughs> Tell me a little bit about this creepy clown thing. I mean, when it comes to you know cinema and even the news lately
0: yeah um i've I've actually noticed in the last what like five years of being a clown that um you know obviously in general, movies aren't great to us, the media's not great to us, but um every couple of years, it seems like this weird thing starts happening outside of film. Um, where people just decide they want to scare people. Um, and the first time it happened after I started identifying, you know, more with clown, I was kind of offended and it worried me as far as getting work and just, you know, giving clowns a bad name. And that's definitely a problem. But I I'd noticed this time around this year when it started happening, it, I just felt tired and angry. <laughs> Um, And even a little frustrated with some of the people in the clown community, because I think the thing that made it most angering for me was there was a group of clowns that started using the hashtag clown lives matter. And to me, that's infuriating as, you know, a a woman of color uh, and an ally to my black friends. I think that that is hugely offensive because as clowns, yes, we get a lot of hate for various reasons, but we can take our clown faces off at any moment and be safe again, you know, but our, our fellow, our black friends, they cannot, you know, these are identities that they wear all the time. And uh, I just, I was so incredibly saddened to see such a huge acceptance of something so terrible by uh, our community. Uh it's it's I guess it's, you know, one of those ways in which um people don't, you know, consciously recognize the privilege that they have um and they don't think about how that affects other people who are less
1: privileged. Yeah, totally. I totally agree.
0: Yeah, I I think the media has not been kind to clowns. I think clowns are a a great vehicle for creating villains. In that you know we have this idea as a society that they are there to entertain you and thereby um, you know make you comfortable and disarm you, making you vulnerable. And you know whether you're talking about becoming physically vulnerable to you know a killer behind this mask of a clown, or whether, you know, on, I guess, a deeper level, emotionally vulnerable, that can be a very, you know, uncomfortable place for a lot of people. It, I think, is a great example of what I was, you know, kind of talking about, because everyone associates the monster with the clown. My, my clown, Winnie, she's very, she's very disarming, and Actually, I get a lot of people coming up to me saying, like, I hate clowns, but you're awesome.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, to be honest, uh, just looking at your picture and some of your shows, it, it does look kind of almost cartoon like. Like I look at you and you're almost like a an- animaniac almost. Is... <laughs> I
0: love I love that. That's what you think of. Thank you so much. That is such a huge compliment. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do you have any future plans? Uh, Are you working on improving your act any?
0: Oh, always. Um, So my big things right now are kind of getting back to creating new clown material. I feel like in the past two years, it's just been kind of like a whirlwind of working and working and getting work. But now I kind of have more of a steady rhythm. I have things that I do every year and I don't have to worry so much about like hustling to network. I mean, it's always good to network, but I don't have to like actively worry about it. So I think this might be the year that I finally get to sit down and balance things out as far as the ratio of performance to creation of new material, which I've been missing a lot. I've kind of been doing the same three or four acts, which, you know, those are what People know and there's demand for but I want to put some new stuff out for me (laughs) and then also I've been working on upping my sword swallowing game as always and uh adding one more sword so right now I can swallow or I have been swallowing two swords now I can do three trying to figure out you know how again how to incorporate my clown work into that and also, at what point is it appropriate to debut those skills? I,
1: I have a couple of questions that I, I ask most guests uh, on the show, and I guess they're they're a little cheesy. Um, since you're, you're beginning as a, as a performer and right up to this point, are there any um, highlights or, or are there any sort of lessons that you've learned that you could let us know about in the performing industry and maybe even in gen- life in general?
0: I think the biggest thing that I have learned um, and I learned this from I mean okay I'm gonna give myself a little credit mostly from myself but um, it was it was brought to my conscious mind by a professor of dance at UC Irvine her name is Loretta Livingston she's a beautiful human being and a beautiful dancer Um, to really meet yourself at your work and do it with a friendly attitude You know, no one's perfect. Things are going to go wrong. You're going to have bad days, bad shows, you know, bad whatever it is you do. But no matter what, meet yourself at your work with friendliness. If you don't, then I think it's really difficult to, you know, continue doing good work because you'll always be tearing yourself down and second guessing yourself.
1: Amen. I totally agree. So, uh, Crystal, thanks so, so much for being on the show. I mean, it's been lots of fun talking to you.
0: Likewise. Thank you so much again for having me.
1: Well, that's about it for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed the interview with Crystal and learned more about sword swallowing and clowns. I'd like to thank Crystal for being on the show and I invite you to follow her on her Facebook page. Just search for Winnie the Clown. You may have also noticed a large gap between this episode and the last one. In fact, this interview was recorded in December. It's mainly because the McGuire clan has fallen victim to colds, flus, and even gastro over the past few weeks. And it really hasn't been pretty. It's been our own version of grindsploitation film around here. So have no fear, more episodes are on their way. As always, the intro and outro music is by Chromatics Music and it's used with permission. And the music that plays while I'm doing Winnie's intro piece is by my good high school friend Matt McClellan, otherwise known as Counterpoint. And I'll be providing a link to his Soundcloud page in the show notes. The clip introducing Winnie herself was graciously provided by Crystal. The clip following is from a live recording of a Freak Show Deluxe show, and there will be a link to that in the show notes. The clip introducing Crystal's character named Solo is from the movie Spidora, an eight-legged love story, and it's used with permission from Fred Olin Ray himself. The short clip from Grindsploitation, the movie, is used with permission from Bodybag Films. For both of these films, check the show notes out for links over at shareaslicepodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast at shareSlicePodcast.com using your Apple or Android phone. You can also listen to past episodes using the web player there as well. As always, remember you can do me a big favor by leaving a 5-star rating or a review over at iTunes. So thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll be back next time.